I think maybe Carlos was part of the Mexican mafia kind of a thing. I think maybe that's how him and James were connected. I didn't know anything about this Carlos guy till pretty much before we went on vacation with him. And we all had a big vacation and my family, it was my wife and Anthony and his girl and James, I mean, not James, uh, Ivan and was it Tawny was there? Maybe Tawny was there. I can't, God, it's been so long. We're talking about years, two decades mm-hmm. ago. And, uh, man, we had a great time. Everything was great. And, you know, he was, you know, partying quite a bit. You know what I mean? But uh, we just, I just didn't, didn't really expect this from, from Ivan. You know what I mean? When this thing goes to court and trial, I have one shot and one opportunity to be not guilty, or I go to prison in death row. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reality of it. We have busted alibis. We have caught people in lies. This is just insane because everybody's pointing the finger at somebody else. You just don't hear every day walking in somebody's house, they're going to take the plastic out and pop somebody. So he could get the execution date pretty much any day? Yeah. There's no impediment. This is Cousins by Blood. Episode 21, Carlos and Anthony, Part 1. This case has quite a cast of characters. Carlos and Anthony's names have continued to come up throughout the story. As you heard in the jailhouse tapes... Right after Ivan was arrested, he speculated that Carlos and Anthony had something to do with the murders. Was that just a smokescreen from Ivan to take the light off himself? Or is there evidence that Carlos and Anthony did have something to do with it? Over the course of this two-part season two finale, we're going to find out. This was my first introduction to Carlos and Anthony. It came in Ivan's third letter to me. He wrote me this, and it's being read by an actor. Report by submitting officer, Sergeant Kirkpatrick. Date November 6th at 7 a.m. Narrative. An anonymous caller saw a white Ford Explorer in the neighborhood at 2.45 a.m. on Saturday morning. Caller stated that the vehicle drove through the neighborhood and honked its horn a few times, but does not know if it had anything to do with the murders. Caller did not see who was inside. Why is this report relevant? Because at the time of the murder, either Carlos's wife or Anthony Fonseca's girlfriend owned a white Ford Explorer. I know this because a white Ford Explorer used to be parked at Carlos's residence prior to the murders. Keep in mind that Anthony Fonseca lived with Carlos during the time of the murders. And since Anthony Fonseca was living there, his girlfriend would frequent the residence. Matt, in my last letter, I should have pointed something out to you just in case you haven't already recognized it yourself. It has to do with Carlos Gonzalez. Have you been able to review his interview statement? Please notice that the time given for leaving the Dallas area on November 4th, 2000, differs from the time during his trial testimony. Matt, if you'll remember, Carlos G. claimed to have traveled to Waco, Texas later in the day on November 4th, 2000. Carlos G. claimed to have been at his business kiosk cart at Valley View Mall on November 4th, 2000. However, my belief is that he was juggling the Corvette with Frank Perez, Anthony Fonseca, or Chris Head. 
There's no doubt that Carlos G. was in the Dallas area on November 4th, 2000. Later this episode, we'll be looking into this time discrepancy. I'll even provide you with another example relating to Carlos G. In regards to the event I encountered with the pizza man, Carlos G. portrayed that the notion of someone coming to see me was preposterous. But yet, a week before the murders occurred, someone visited and kicked in Anthony Fonseca's door. Why didn't Carlos G. think that this action was preposterous? After all, he had to know that someone kicked in Anthony Fonseca's door because they're best friends. Now this is very interesting. This was a report also in the binders. A Sergeant Lewis interviewed Gilbert Tamez on November 5th, one day after the bodies were found. Gilbert is the husband of James' sister, Kelly. And this is Sergeant Lewis's report from his interview with Gilbert Tamez. Tamez told me that James Mosqueda, Ivan Cantu, Anthony Fonseca, Francisco, and Ray all worked together. Francisco is Frank Perez, the mysterious roommate. Ray is Ray Sanchez. That was James' right-hand man in the mortgage business. And from all accounts, he was the straight man, having no ties to drug activities. Mosqueda owns a business which used to be called Starnet, and is located on the tollway near where he lives. Tamez says this company wrote mortgages for people. Tamez stated that Cantu, Fonseca, Ray, and Francisco worked under Mosqueda as loan writers. Tamez stated he did not associate with this group much and kept his family away. When asked why, he stated that he believed the group were dealing drugs. I asked him how he knew this. He stated that Mosqueda's success was too fast and that his, Tamez's sister, told him that they were. Tamez said that his sister told him that she had heard from Fonseca about a week and a half ago that he told her someone had kicked in his front door. Fonseca has not been heard from since. And you'll remember that not only is Tamez married to James' sister, but he's also cousins with Anthony Fonseca. And his information was that someone kicked in Anthony's door about a week and a half before the murders. It's unknown by whom, if Anthony was there or if anything was taken. But it was assumed to be drug-related. So what did Anthony do to get his door kicked in? I don't know. And while be it the Pizza Man story sounds more fantastic and elaborate, it does sound similar to this Anthony Kickdoor incident. So, if we're to believe the Pizza Man story, you've got the Pizza Man, you've got Anthony's Kickdoor, and you've got the anonymous tip that James was killed by a rival drug dealer, which, if all true, indicates that sharks were circling these guys, and they were in over their head in the drug business. Now let's jump back to Ivan's letters to me. Let's cover Anthony F. for a little bit. Just as you read in the pre-trial volumes, he had an apartment key while Amy B. and I were in Arkansas. In the pre-trial transcripts, Sylvia testified that she believed Anthony had Ivan and Amy B.'s apartment key, and Anthony having this key to their apartment, where the evidence was later found, made Anthony the number one suspect for Ivan and Sylvia. However... 
Sylvia also testified that she was never able to confirm that the key that Anthony had belonged to Ivan's apartment because the locks were shortly changed after Ivan's arrest. There's no way to prove that one way or another, so we'll be asking Anthony about that shortly. In fact, I attempted to get it from him on several occasions, but for some reason or another, it seemed like we could never catch up with each other before the weekend of November 3rd, 2000. Really, Matt, as I contacted him, he continually blew me off. At that time, I really didn't think anything of it because he was also juggling the rat race of life, especially after getting busted with drugs again in August 2000. On August 18th, 2000, about two and a half months before the murders, apparently the police raided Anthony's apartment. Ivan told me that Carlos told him that the police confiscated 20 grand and whatever drugs he had in the residence. Now, I haven't seen any documentation on any cash being confiscated. That's just what Ivan told me. But there is an arrest record for Anthony on that date for the possession of a controlled substance. So whatever did get confiscated, did that put Anthony behind the eight ball with whoever was supplying him? And could that have resulted in the kick door about a week and a half prior to the murders? I don't know, but it seems like a possibility. But I'm curious to know what Anthony F.'s girlfriend could share during the time of his arrest in August 2000 and also regarding his whereabouts during the weekend of the murders. Keep in mind that during the weekend of the murders, he claimed to have been on a ranch far from the Dallas area with Jason King. To this day, I have no idea whether or not Detective Wynn ever spoke to Jason King to determine if Anthony F. was really with him at the ranch. Of course, Carlos G. and others claim that Anthony F. had been at the ranch with Jason King, but Matt, we have no idea whether or not this is true. My idea would have been to track the whereabouts of Anthony F.'s cell phone the weekend of the murders. Jason King has yet to call me back to confirm that Anthony was out of town with him at a ranch, deer hunting, during the time of the murders. Either way, Matt, there's still something very fishy with the Anthony F. so-called alibi the weekend of the murders. Here's something to think about. If Anthony F. was really outside of Dallas on a ranch with Jason King the weekend of the murders, how was he able to prove this to the police? Or did they just take his word? Better yet, if Detective Wynn spoke to Jason King, did he just take him at his word as well? Matt, at this point, who really knows? So that's what Ivan had to tell me about Carlos and Anthony. And you'll remember in episode five and six, this is what Sylvia told me about Carlos and Anthony. Oh, let me back up, Matt. Ivan calls early Sunday morning, 2 or 3 o'clock. The next call I get is from Carlos Gonzalez. I don't know Carlos. I've never met him. But for some reason, he felt that he had to call me at 8 o'clock in the morning and set up an alibi for himself. And uh, he says, um, I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry I won't be able to go to the funeral. I heard about James. He can't go to the funeral. I'm going to be out of town the whole week. I'm at my grandmother's in Waco. My uncle is dying. They expect him to die this week. I won't be able to go to the funeral. And he says, Anthony, Anthony's out out of town deer hunting. So he's covering for Anthony as well. He's with um, Jason King at at some ranch in South Texas. And he says, they're deer hunting. They won't be back for a while. So I told my sister, uh, I said, I need you to go with me to um, Carlos' house, and I need to get back my my Mustang. But I need you to drive my car back so I can drive the Mustang back. And you said that you knocked on the door? Yeah, I thought, well, maybe somebody's at home and they'll let me in to get the car. I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. 
I just knew, well, Carlos is out of town and anything is deer hunting, so let's see if somebody opens the door. And lo and behold, my sister's there with me, and Anthony opens the door. I said, Anthony, what are you doing here? He says, you want to come in? Yes, I sure do. Okay. And then it gets even more bizarre because uh, he would go into the kitchen, we'd sit down, or and uh, he kind of motions like, don't say anything uh, with his finger. And then he he says, uh, Carlos is on the phone with Ivan. So he's talking to Ivan. He's asking him, I was asking Anthony before Carlos came in the kitchen and what do you know about what's going on? And what, and what happened to James? I don't know. But he does lean down to my sister's ear and tells her, maybe Ivan did it. And I thought, well, okay, why is he planting that seed? Here he is supposed to be deer hunting and he's planting seeds now that maybe Ivan's involved in this thing. And so Carlos walks into the living room. I said, uh, there's a speaker on that. And Carlos kept asking him the same question. Now tell me again what happened. And Ivan would tell him the same story he told me. Which story? About the pizza man. Carlos says, well, I'll tell you what, Ivan. You see this pizza man again. You tell him to come over to whatever the address was on Boat Court. He says, I'll get rid of Amy. My girlfriend can go back to her mother's house with the kids. I'll put the plastic out, and I'll take care of him myself. And I'm going, oh, my God. Did I just hear that? Had you ever known these guys to be violent, Carlos? Never. I, I had no idea that people could be like that that Ivan, you know, might have known. I also asked Ivan this question. Did he ever know Carlos and Anthony to be violent? And Ivan told me that at some point prior to James' death, James had told him that Carlos and Anthony were involved in a double homicide known as the Blackbird Lane murders that happened in 1995. This is from a newspaper article on the story. December 2nd, 1995. Two men killed, one hurt in Northeast Dallas House. Two men were found dead and another severely beaten Friday inside a rental house in Northeast Dallas, police said. Police found the men hours after receiving a call from an attorney who reported that a client told him a couple of dead bodies could be found in a house near Blackbird and Thunderbird Lanes. Investigators found drug-related evidence at a Lake Highlands house where two men were found slain and a third was severely beaten, Dallas police said Saturday. The slain occupant of the rented house on Blackbird Lane was identified as Arnulfo Moreno Elizondo, 25. A second slain man, Luis Manuel Mendez, 20. Luis Mendez was married to Mr. Elizondo's sister. Police withheld the name of the beaten victim, a 23-year-old man whose arms were broken and skull was fractured. He's an eyewitness, and they left him for dead, Sergeant Roger Martin said. We fear for his safety. And this is from a later article on an indictment in connection to the case. January 11th, 1996. Woman indicted in deaths of two Lake Highlands men. Dallas County grand jurors handed down a capital murder indictment Wednesday against the sister-in-law of one of two men slain in a Lake Highlands house on November 30th. Rosa Elizondo, 25, is charged with taking part in the shotgun killings of her brother-in-law, Arnufo Elizondo, 25, and 20-year-old Luis Mendez inside a home on Blackbird Lane. 
a witness who survived the attack, said Mrs. Elizondo entered the house with two unknown men who carried out the killings. According to the police reports, the witness identified Ms. Elizondo from a photographic lineup. So were those two unknown men, Carlos and Anthony? That's what Ivan has said that James indicated to him. Now, to be clear, I have no evidence Carlos and Anthony were involved with this. But like so many things in this case, Ivan has talked about Carlos and Anthony in connection to these Blackbird Lane murders for 20 years. Ivan's mom, Sylvia, had cut out the newspaper clippings that were just read. And although I've tried to work a few leads for more information on this case, I haven't been able to make much headway into this one. So if anyone has any information on this case, please contact me because apparently the two unknown men have never been identified. And you can find these articles on the Blackbird Lane murders on our social media pages. And I know this is a bizarre side story that either James told Ivan or Ivan concocted this Carlos and Anthony slash two unknown men connection. It's baffling how this double homicide would have wound up on Ivan's radar if James had never said that. But that's the Blackbird Lane murders. Are they somehow connected to this case or not? As of right now, I don't know. Back to Sylvia's account on November 6th. You'll remember as she, Penny, and Anthony are listening to Carlos grill Ivan over the speakerphone about the pizza man. And then there's a knock at the door, and it's Detective Wynn. Carlos is already on the phone with with Ivan. Uh Uh-huh. Detective Wynn sits down at the desk and he says, I need to know what's going on here. Do you mind coming down to the station with me, all of you? We need to talk over there. So who is all? We have Anthony, Carlos, me, and Penny. So they all go down to the station. You'll remember that Anthony actually got arrested while he was at the station for apparently a previous drug charge. So I'm not sure if he ever gave a statement regarding this case, but there's nothing in the case file. However, here is the statement that Carlos gave the police November 6th. It has been slightly edited for time and clarity, and it's being read by an actor. I've known James longer than Ivan because I grew up with them in the Pleasant Grove area of Dallas. James and I went to the same school. Ivan went to a different school, but I knew him because he was James's cousin. I left work about 5.15 on Saturday, November 4th, 2000, and drove to Waco, Texas. It took me about an hour and 15 or 20 minutes to get there. When I got there, I went to my grandmother's first and found out that my uncle, my grandmother's brother, and his daughter, Amy, were already in my cabin. My uncle is dying from cancer, and he went to the cabin to pass away. Around 8 p.m., 9 p.m., I was at my grandmother's house when my fiancé, Michelle Maher, telephoned me and told me that there was problems back in Dallas. She told me that she got a telephone call from Anthony Faseca's sister saying that James and Amy were murdered. She gave me the number to James's house. Gladys got on the phone with me, and she was crying and hysterical. I asked if James and Amy were dead, and... She said, they killed my baby, Carlos. I asked how they killed him, and she was speaking half in English, half Spanish. But from what I could gather, she said that he'd been shot in the back of the head. I stayed the night at my grandmother's house because Michelle went to her mother's house in Highland Park. I left around 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. 
I drove home and met Michelle at my house in Frisco. We watched the news and we recorded all the episodes. I tried to get a hold of Anthony Foseca and Jason King, who are everybody's friends. They were deer hunting in Texas, somewhere near the borderline with Mexico. Sunday night, they finally returned my calls and I told them what had happened and suggested that they come over to my house so I could explain the situation. They both called me on the speakerphone from Jason's apartment in Frisco, Texas, around 9.30 p.m. Jason was tired and he didn't come over. Anthony came over and we talked about what happened. Sunday, just before the Cowboys game was getting over, I got a call from Ivan Cantu. He was calling from a 1-800 calling card and was calling from a payphone. I asked why he wasn't here and he told me that James was in a bunch of trouble and that James had asked Ivan's father for some money. When I told him that I didn't believe that, he changed his story. I asked him if he knew anyone who was capable of doing this and I told him that the only one I could think of was Buck, Jason Head. Jason or Buckhead is Chris Head's brother. And it's interesting to note that Ivan and Carlos both brought up Buckhead's name as the first person they thought could have committed the murders. In Carlos's trial testimony, the prosecutor asked him, quote, why would Buck be a likely candidate in your judgment? To which Carlos answered, just of the horror stories and stuff that we've heard from his brother, you know, and everything. The horror stories that, you know, robbing people at gunpoint and taking them, robbing their house, stuff like that, unquote. So that's Buckhead, and that is very interesting, given the fact that Buck's brother, Chris Head, was upset with both James and Ivan prior to the murders. And of course, the genes come back to Amy Head. But back to Carlos's statement. I asked him if he knew anyone who was capable of doing this, and I told him that the only one I could think of was Buck, Jason Head. He told me that he agreed with me, and he suggested that I call the detectives and tell them our theory. He said to tell the detectives that if he wanted to meet with us, we could meet with him when he got back to Dallas. He told me that he was in Arkansas at his girlfriend Amy's parents' ranch. He never said where in Arkansas he was at. I asked him when he was coming back, and he told me he was more concerned at this point with meeting his future in-laws. When I pressured him about when he was coming back, he said maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. He already knew about James and Amy's death because he had called Michelle on Sunday morning around 3 a.m. Today, around 12.45 p.m., I got a call from Sylvia Cantu, Ivan's mother, saying that she was coming over to my house to talk with me and Anthony. So that's obviously different than the way Sylvia remembers, because she says Carlos called her when he was in Waco, so she didn't think he would be home. And there will be other differences in their recollections upcoming. Around 1 p.m. or 1.30 p.m., Sylvia and another lady came into the house. About the same time they walked in, Ivan called me. I could see that it was his cellular phone. He told me that his phone might quit because it had a low battery. Ivan asked me if I'd talked with his mom, and I asked him what was really going on. Ivan told me that he was at his apartment on Friday when he got a knock on his door. He said that it was a pizza guy dressed up in a Domino's pizza uniform. And you've heard the pizza man story before, 
but this is Carlos's account of it, one day after Ivan told it to him over the phone. He told the guy that he didn't order no pizza, but that the guy forced his way in by gunpoint. He said that his girlfriend, Amy, wasn't there and that she was tanning at the time. And he said the guy made him get on his knees and said, you're Ivan, James's cousin, and you're supposed to be going back to work for him at the mortgage company. Ivan told him, no, what are you talking about? He said that the guy said that James owed him money, $250,000 for cocaine, and that James had only paid him 50000 He said that when he told the guy that he wasn't going back to work for James, the guy acted like he'd caught James in a lie and fired around into the wall. Ivan said that the guy had a list of about 15 of James's relatives, starting with his sister, and he said that this is what's going to happen if he doesn't get his money. After the guy left, Ivan said that he called James and told him what had happened and that he was coming over. Ivan said that he went to James's place and that James and Amy were there. He said that when James told him that he owed someone a lot of money, he wanted Ivan to hang out and Ivan told him that he was leaving to go out of town. Ivan said why he didn't just leave and James told him that he's still waiting for someone to bring some money over. Ivan said that he told James that he had to go to the store and James told him to leave his car and take the Mercedes so that it looked like he had company. Ivan said that he took the Mercedes and he went to the Albertsons and got snacks and then he brought the car back and parked it in the garage. He said that he told James that he was leaving to go out of town and that James told him to leave his car there so it looked like they had guests. Ivan said that James told him to take the Corvette. Ivan said that he took the Corvette and he went back to his apartment. Ivan said that he thought that if James was in that much trouble, he didn't want to leave his car over there because the car was registered in his mother's name. He said that he called James on the phone and told him that he wanted to take his car and not the Corvette, and that he was on his way over to switch out the cars. He said that James said, don't come over, just leave the car in the apartment complex and pick it up later. Ivan and Amy got in the Corvette, drove to James's house, and he let Amy out to get the Honda Accord, and they went back to his apartment. He said they switched out the stuff from the Corvette to the Accord and then left to go to Arkansas. It's also important to note that in Carlos's account, Ivan said he did leave the Corvette over at his apartment. However, Ivan says he never said that. When his phone died, I called the police and they paged Detective Wynn. I told him I had some news about the case and asked if he could come over. When Detective Wynn came over, Ivan had called back and he told me the story all over again. Detective Wynn listened to the conversation that we had. Detective Perez also got to listen to the story that Ivan told me. I know that James and Amy would not open the door for someone that they didn't know. From what I know about what happened, it sounds like somebody they knew. Ivan told me that he left Dallas around 11 p.m. But Ivan and Amy actually left sometime around 11 a.m. the following morning. And I've talked to Amy's mother who told me that she was talking to Amy around 11 p.m. I also know that James didn't let anyone drive his Corvette. The only time he let anyone drive the Mercedes was when he, Ivan, borrowed it so that he could pick up me and Michelle so that we could meet a real estate broker. He didn't even let Amy drive the Corvette. 
At 7.51, Ivan called Michelle and asked if his mother was there and if she'd been there at all. He said that he was trying to get a hold of her and couldn't, and he was starting to get worried. He told Michelle that if he couldn't get a hold of me tonight, he was coming back to Dallas tomorrow. So there were some differences in Carlos's statement and Ivan's story. Now, Ivan told me that he felt like Carlos's statement was trying to throw him under the bus. But it seems to me that had Carlos intended to bury Ivan with this statement, he could have laid it on thicker. So that's up for debate. And Ivan brought up the inconsistencies in times that Carlos said he went to Waco on November 4th, the day the bodies were found. In Carlos's statement to police, which you just heard, he said he left work at his kiosk in the mall at 5.15 p.m. He headed to Waco to be there with his dying great uncle. However, at trial, Carlos said he left work and went to Waco at 2.30 p.m. The bodies were found at 4.30 p.m. So that is an interesting time discrepancy. But the trial was almost one year after Carlos gave that statement to police. So was that just a slip in memory or an indication that he was being deceptive? I don't know. But that's what Carlos said in 2000 and 2001. 20 years later, let's see what Carlos has to say about everything now. Yes, I've been friends with James since I was uh, a youngster. We're from the old neighborhood together, and uh, my stepbrother, Anthony Fonseca, too. You know what I mean? Oh, so he's your stepbrother? Well, my dad was married to his mom for a short period of time. I gotcha. Oh, okay. You and um, Anthony, you guys were pretty much friends with Ivan before he got arrested and everything, too, or what? Well, yes. I met I met Ivan through uh, James, and how that went down was uh, I'd never – I grew up with James. Me and Anthony grew up with James, and Anthony went to school with James. I went to a different school, and uh, I met Ivan through James probably prior to this, I'm going to say maybe three years prior to the uh to the murder you know what i mean and uh, i had bought i had bought his house from him uh he was in a foreclosure his mom was living in it with his brother long story short they were going through a little foreclosure and uh, i was able to buy the house from him to save it from foreclosure and that's how i become to know ivan you'll remember that carlos was living at the house he's talking about ivan's old house when sylvia says she and ivan's aunt penny went to pick up the mustang from anthony and so then we hit it off as, you know, friends and James. I mean, he seemed like a, he was a really nice guy. My fact, right before the murder happened, I had just taken him on vacation with me to Jamaica. You know what I mean? Hmm. And we, and we all had a big vacation and my family, it was my wife and Anthony, his girl and James. I mean, not James, uh, Ivan and was it Tawny was there? Maybe Tawny was there. I can't, God, it's been so long. We're talking about years, two decades mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. And, uh, man, we had a great time. Everything was great. And, you know, he was, you know, partying quite a bit. You know what I mean? But uh, we just, I just didn't, didn't really expect this from Ivan. Before Ivan got arrested, did you ever think that he could have been responsible for something like this? Man, the only thing, I, I, didn't, I didn't really think he would, I wouldn't have, you know, I would, didn't really think he was quite capable of something like this. You know what I mean? But, uh, you got to keep in mind, he, he had a Jekyll and Hyde. He was really a nice guy, outgoing, very outspoken, very intelligent. But, you know, when he was on that cocaine, man, he's just, uh, just a little skittish type guy. You know what I mean? 
Hmm. Yeah, and, and it was just, you know, the ecstasy and that cocaine, it was just, uh, you know, it was just up and down. He called me many, many times in the middle of the night. I go, hey, you know where you can find me something? I was like, dude, no, Ivan, are you kidding? When speaking to Carlos and Anthony, like Amy Head, Ivan's drug usage came up quickly in the conversation. So now did Ivan deal drugs? I don't know that he dealt drugs. I know he was on drugs. That's Anthony. Lots of them. Sylvia seems to think that it was recreational. I was like, no, it was a lifestyle. Sylvia had just spoken to Anthony a few weeks prior to this call. It was the first time they spoke since all this went down. Apparently, she aired out what had been on her mind for 20 years and how she remembers things. Sylvia seems to think that it was recreational. I was like, no, it was a lifestyle. It was not recreational. Now, what, what would you say the difference is? Recreational. I mean, you're doing it every now and then and more like every then you know and he was a he was an avid drug user you know he's smoking ice you know your methamphetamines cocaine mm-hmm. weed drinking hanging out i mean he'd give us he'd give us all calls you know late at night you know late at night you know where everyone's asleep man and he's right awake talking about he's got he's got some girls with him goddesses as he's always he's always referred to them as Three goddesses, four goddesses, five goddesses. Get up, come over here to the. Um, there's a place that uh, he's, uh, what's the name of that place? There's a place in Dallas, like a not a hotel, but it's a high rise living. And he used to tell me just, you know, man, come over here, man. I got, you know, all these goddesses, and that was his word that he used to describe women, you know. But I was like, man, hell no, I'm asleep. And I'll be cutting back and forth between Carlos and Anthony but it's pretty easy to distinguish between the two. This is Carlos. Other than that, he seemed like a great guy when he wasn't on, even when he was on that stuff, he still seemed like a, a, guy, a good guy, but he just seemed a little bit, you know, just skittish, different. You know, not the all-go-lucky type guy, you know, when he wasn't on it, you know. And I know he was going through a, quite a bit of uh, jealousy with James also, because I don't know if you know the full story is, no, uh, tell me the tell me the full story. Man, the, the bottom line is Ivan. He was on basically on his down spiral where he was losing his house, losing his cars, his girl, his wife done ran off with one of his best friends, and you know was just devastated. So you know I took his house. You know Anthony ended up taking over his payments on his car. You know so we were trying to do everything we could to help him help him out, but he was just on that down roll spiral. He was really depressed over the wife and the and the best friend running off and. You know, you know, conniving behind them. and James got killed 2000. So I'm going to say this is probably 97, 98, 96, somewhere around there. All that stuff went down. You, you lose what you had, you know, and it's quite a bit. Kind of destroy your ego, man. So, you know, whenever uh, Ivan come around, you know, he had the house, was in the middle of a foreclosure. He got um, Carlos approved to buy the house so that the foreclosure wouldn't have to go on his record. You know, because he had obvious, you know, like anybody, you know, you hit the, you spiral, you know, you hit the dumps and you really plan on bouncing back. It was during this downward spiral that Ivan got divorced from his first wife, then ran off and joined the Navy. When that didn't work out, he came back to Dallas, met his second wife, and they had a toxic relationship that only lasted a few months. The downward spiral seemed to continue. Shortly after that, Ivan started at James Mortgage Company where Anthony and Chris Head were also working at the time. He worked there for a little bit. James told me he could come on over there. 
you know, like freelance. He didn't have an office or anything, but he was there trying to get things going and get some uh, get some leads and stuff like this. Maybe teach some uh, some of the guys, which it was me, James, uh, Chris, and um, Ray, and you know, give us some pointers, but to not be teaching us the fraudulent shit that he what he got in trouble for, you know, a few years before that, you know. I mean, who got in uh, some fraudulent shit? Uh, Ivan. What, what did Ivan get into a few years ago? Well, previous to that, man, he had he was closing loans like a madman, and uh, you know a lot of his loans, you know, there he was doing a lot of the uh, faded income loans, um, and all his loans were just, how would I say it, you know, where he was uh, doctoring um, W2s and doctoring this, and you mm-hmm. know, so obviously he he could force the sale of the house, and then he gets the big commission on it, and um, you know, it was it was. He was just doing not the right, not the right stuff. He had the, the big house in Frisco and Beaucourt. And again, understand, you know, he had this great big old house. Um, you know, at the time, I guess the value of the house, you know, probably about $250,000, which is a lot of money for any, anybody. Um, but he's only 22, 23 years old living in his home. You know, that's, you know, that's not really par, par for the course if you're 22 years old, you know? Without a right. college degree, without without a without you know you're not an athlete and you got a quarter of a million dollar house and you've got some you know some boats or a boat jet skis and automobiles and you're living the life you know. And there's a lot more to tell you about the mortgage fraud side of this case, but that's still coming down the line. After working at James Mortgage Company briefly, Ivan left and worked for the other mortgage business he had worked for out in Austin before coming back to Dallas and working for Countrywide. But it was this business relationship that Ivan's mom, Sylvia, had with James that, according to Carlos and Anthony, was a larger issue for Ivan. So anyways, he was on the downward spiral, kind of depressed about this and losing his house, losing his car, you know, not having a steady job. And then I think what set him over the deal is his his mom was a real estate broker, okay? And James had a title company over where they closed titles. You know, and they were doing really good at closing, you know, home loans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, his mom had got this, this is the reality. Of it. I don't know if it was out in Grand Prairie or what the situation was. A- a- Anthony could probably tell you a little bit more about it. But anyways, it was like 100 or 200 or 100 houses. And she had the exclusive contract on it. You follow me? And it was mostly a Mexican-driven community where this, this Vista Real property with all these housing schemes were going up. And so she pretty much had the lock on, you know, you know, the exclusive real estate lady there. And so she was basically got together with James and said, listen, I want you to close all these people and we'll work out a deal and blank, blank, bang. So you can make tons of money on the closings and I can make a little, you know, I'm going to make money off the sale of the house, a little kickback or this and this and this. And the reason, well, why would you just give that to your son? Well, Ivan didn't speak, uh, Ivan didn't speak Spanish. You follow me? And they needed a Spanish-speaking person to close these loans. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just give him a little assistance that spoke Spanish? So he was very, very jealous with that situation. You understand that he was just pissed off at his mom for basically, I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in this deal that James was capitalizing on. Of course, your ass is going to be a little sore. This is your mother. And you're basically giving all that business to my cousin. Here I am. I ain't got a job or nothing. And I'm working part-time with James. And basically, he's getting all this deal. So 
you can see where the jealousy all ramped up. You follow me? You know, and, you know, James has, you know, now at this point, his, his little mortgage company is nice and successful. And, you know, they're closing loans and, you know, they're prospering and everything's great. And, you know, he's got a great team working there with him. So, you know, that that's kind of the, in a nutshell. You know what I mean? And Anthony elaborated on what he thought about this business between James and Ivan's mom, Sylvia. She gave him, uh, what, 90-something loans on a, on a silver platter. All to him. Hmm. He only been doing mortgages two years. Ivan's been doing it for six. So I would suspect he, he had a little resentment behind that, you know? Gosh, damn, your own mom gives, you know, I was doing the math, man. I was like, after I talked to her the other day or two weeks ago, I'm like, you know, if there was nine, let's just say there was, let's just say there was a hundred loans, a hundred loans on those homes that were being built and each one, let's just say they're $200,000. Yeah. You get 3% on that, you know, as as a uh, loan officer, you know, that's a, man, that's a lot of money, man. So here it goes. My little calculator. That's a 100 times $200,000. Yeah. That's $20 million in in, uh, sales. So out of $20 million times. Right. 3%. Three percent. That's what you know. That's six hundred thousand dollars. So I think it was uh, more like six percent, but I'm just going on lowballing numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, half, over half a million dollars in commissions, and he don't get one of them. And her excuse was he didn't speak Spanish. Man, you don't got to speak Spanish to write numbers. You don't have to speak Spanish to write numbers, man. And now, did Ivan, you know, kind of vocalize that to you or the the some of the other? Yes, I, I had a couple of conversations with him about it, and uh, you know, he didn't think it was, you know, very cool at the situation. I'm trying to remember even the conversation's been so long ago, man. I can't mm-hmm. really remember, but yes, he did voice a few times to me, but he only voiced it to me when he was on the shit. You know what I mean? All right, guys, you know, when he was on drugs. Shit. Yeah, just talking shit. You know, my mom and James and I'm over here. He's getting all this fucking business. And, and to be honest with you, I love James to death. He's a great friend of mine. But James is a really uh, uh, a cocky type guy. You know what I mean? It's like um, he don't take no bullshit. He'll just tell you if your shirt's blue and it's not really blue, he's going to tell you why you got on that shirt that's not really blue and you're calling it blue. You know what I mean? Right. You know, he'll, 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 he's just straight up front with you. You know what I mean? And a lot, a lot of people don't like to hear that when you're down on your luck. It was just, that something was, else that uh, Ivan was saying that James was kind of talking down to him? Or? Well, he was he was really more mad at his mother than James on the deal. You know what I mean? And uh, but James already knew that Ivan's all fucked up on the drugs and stuff. So you know you can't hardly even you know slide him any business because you don't know if the shit is going to get done or not. You know what I mean? At this mm-hmm. point, you know James is running a a professional business with professional people and you know and closing their Social security numbers and everything to get these things going. I mean, they're running a professional office. And, uh, you know, he was a liability is what I kind of understood a little bit. So that's where the jealousy, in my opinion, come from. You know what I mean? I see. Well, and did James ever tell you anything about Ivan? What, What would James tell you about Ivan? 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What would James tell you about Ivan? Nothing. We'd just all be, you know, maybe at lunchtime here or there, you know, we'd just be like, damn, it, it just, he just really screwed up on that shit. You know what I mean? So, uh, no, nothing did I ever hear James like, oh, I'm going to go down to whoop his ass or anything like that, you know? He was always pretty pleasant to me and he was always seen pretty pleasant to Ivan when we was around. There was never no like, you know, static between them when they were there, when I seen them together or anything like that. You follow me? Yeah. Well, did Ivan ever, you know, uh, he expressed that he was jealous of, or maybe not in those exact words, but just a little hurt, I guess, about the, the business deal. But did Ivan ever say anything to you about taking it, to the next level with something no, like never, being never, violent. Never, no, no, never, ever. Hmm. Not that I know of. Did you ever know uh, Ivan to be violent? He never struck me as a as a as a violent person. However, um, he had a, a history of physical and verbal abuse on his you know his girlfriends or wife or whatever. I'm sure that's documented. You'll remember Ivan's first wife, Michelle, testified about the physical abuse during the punishment phase of Ivan's trial. And Ivan's second wife, Jennifer, did not testify at trial, but she did press charges on Ivan for assault while they were married in 1999. So Anthony is correct. That is documented. Physically abusive and verbally abusive. And he was verbally abusive to his mom. You know, Ivan and his mom just didn't have a good relationship, as I could tell. You know, and there was a couple incidents that happened with Anthony when he was helping them move a couple times. And Sylvia seems to have forgotten that, but I was right there next to him when he when he talked to her very, very disrespectfully, very bad, with vulgar words. I mean, it was awful. Where was that now? I was in a, in a U-Haul truck. I was standing, I was sitting right next to him. Kind of, I don't know what their problem was. I, you know, I knew Ivan, obviously, through James, and I only seen him a few times through the years. And in those last two or three years, you know, I've seen him a lot more, I guess, because, you know, James was in the mortgage industry as well. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, he talked to her super bad, man. You know, I could be out of context, but I remember uh, that Sylvia had called James, uh, needed some help because Ivan was threatened, was threatening to be, either beat her up or kill her. And she needed James, somebody to come help her. Rick Acala, another guy who was working at James Mortgage Company at the time, testified at trial about this event. Rick said he was driving James to the bank one day. And James got a phone call from Sylvia, and she wanted him to come meet her. So Rick drove James behind an apartment complex. Sylvia was in the Honda, and Ivan and Amy were in another vehicle. 
Ivan was upset because he wanted to get some of his stuff back from his mom, and so they all met in this parking lot. This is some of the testimony being read from the transcript. When he is sitting there talking to you all, what's his demeanor, the defendant's? Talking very fast, very upset, a lot of obscenities, you know? Eyes were wide open. In my opinion, it seemed like he was high. After you got to the apartment complex, describe how everybody parks once they get there. He pulled into an apartment complex. He parked, and Sylvia had her car parked, not in an actual parking spot where she kind of parked this way. And he pulled in there, and I pulled in about three parking spots away. Who all was in the car with the defendant? It was himself and another woman. That would have been Amy Betcher. What did the woman look like? From what I could tell, she was blonde, average, thin to average build. Once you got, everybody got parked. What happened next? James basically said, hey, I'll be right back. I just got to make sure he gets his stuff and that everyone's calm. So he basically put his keys down and then he stepped outside. I stayed in my car. Were you watching the whole time that this exchange of property was taking place? I was not watching the whole time. It's not till I heard some some loud noises or some what appeared to be banging and some very little voices starting to get louder. The obscenity started coming through that I started paying more attention to. A couple times I turned around and I saw him kicking the car, Sylvia's car. Where was she in relationship to where he was kicking the car? She was standing approximately somewhere in the front by the front door or the hood. James was standing right there in front of her. Describe how James, what his demeanor was as he was over there in the middle of the situation. He had his hands in his pockets, kind of with his head down, and just kind of standing in the middle between the between him and his mom. Describe for the jury and explain to them what was going on between the defendant and his mother that James was having to do that. He was being very loud. He seemed to be very, I perceived to be pretty violent. He kept coming on like he was going to jump on top of her. He had to be stepping in. I can hear the obscenities. I can hear him pointing directly at her. Again, he kicked the car a couple of times. And a couple times, too, I would see James. He had to get his hand up and kind of stand to the middle. Was there ever a time when James took his hands out of his pocket? He took his hands out of his pocket to what I perceived to be holding him back from getting his mother. During the time that you were watching all of this go on at the car, explain to the jury what Sylvia's demeanor was like. She was scared. She was scared. She was in a very defensive posture. She was leaning back against the car. What is the girl that's with the defendant doing this whole time? She's taking stuff from Sylvia's car and putting it into Ivan's car. He wanted his stuff. How did this all end? We were there for about, I would say, at least half an hour or 45 minutes. The way it ended, he got his stuff, jumped in his car, and he just basically kind of took off. And there was still conversation between James and Sylvia and so on. I stayed in my car. I wanted to make sure I could get away if I needed to. Were you a little concerned for your safety as well as everyone else's safety? Yes, definitely. Why is that? His demeanor. My feelings were I had my car door open. I have one foot outside my car door in case I needed to get out and run. Explain that. I felt that my safety was in jeopardy, that if his demeanor and the words and his manner were to the point where I believed it, that he may have had something with him, a weapon, that he would have used it 
and I wanted to make sure that I could get away. So my door was open, my foot, and I was, had my eyes after a while strictly over there to where if I had to run, I was running. Was James' demeanor about this whole situation, did it seem to you to be one of surprise or not really surprised? Not surprised. When he comes back to the car after going through this situation with the defendant, with his mother, does he make any statements about his perception of the defendant while all of this is going on? The word he used repeatedly was, man, this guy's just going crazy. Like Amy Head said last episode, and Carlos and Anthony are saying, Ivan was a hothead, especially when he was on drugs. And at times, like the one just described by Rick Akala at the trial, Ivan sounds downright unhinged. You also have Ivan's friend saying, When I ran into him at night, I also remember him saying that they had been up for days. So... Mm. Yeah. And I definitely remember him being like, yeah, you know, they hadn't slept in a couple days. And I was like, fuck, dude. You know. Ivan did have a history of violence with the women in his life. And all of these factors cannot be ignored as this podcast intends to get to the truth, good or bad, for Ivan. I don't think he can fake that amount of passion about being innocent. It's very hard to do. I think he's either an evil genius or he didn't do it. If there's any truth to what he's saying and he's the wrong man that's behind bars, then, you know, Godspeed, you know, to help him get out of there. However, just know who you're up against. He's always been a sensational storyteller. I mean, if you know Ivan, you would be like, damn, here goes one of his stories. You know what I mean? They're elaborate. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. And, they're, and the regular person, is they're convincing. You know what I mean? For the unsuspecting person, you know, who does not know him, when you hear this story for the first time with such conviction, it's the gospel. It's the truth. And that's coming up in part two of the season two finale. If you're a fan of the podcast, please give a five-star rating on iTunes. To find out more about the case and to see pictures, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cousins by Blood Podcast. If you have any information about this case, you can email me at cousinsbybloodpodcast at gmail.com. The Tamez Police Report, read by Dale De La Fuente. Carlos's Statement, read by Jim Wright. Ivan's Lawyer, read by David Whitlock. The Blackbird Lane Newspaper Articles, read by Rod Johnson. Rick Acala's Trial Testimony, read by A.J. Penny. The Prosecution, read by Catherine Denimi Leach. Mixing and Mastering by Jody Abbott. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned.